As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Hello, welcome back to the show. I'm Justin Briley, apologetics and theology editor for Premier Unbelievable, and this is Unapologetic, helping you grow in confidence, both in thinking through and sharing your Christian faith. This is the final of a few shows featuring Glenn Scrivener from Speak Life today. Choosing your miracle has been our theme. Uh, Next week on the podcast, we'll begin some special conversations with John Lennox, who is an absolute legend in the world of Christian apologetics, of course. Uh, Final chance this week as well to enter our competition on social media. Just post the unapologetic podcast link to your Twitter, Instagram or Facebook account with the hashtag premier unbelievable that's hashtag premier unbelievable or you can retweet or share the competition post from our own social media and you'll be entered for a prize draw win one of five signed copies of the air we breathe by glenn scrivener again if you want more from the show as well uh, you can register for our newsletter you'll get a free ebook bonus content if you do that premier unbelievable Dot com is our website and finally if you can share rate and review this podcast on your podcast provider it helps others to discover the show too we would love you to do that in these early episodes of unapologetic and really put the podcast on the map again do rate review and share us if you can for now into today's conversation I'm joined again on the show by Glenn Scriveners as we continue and sort of really summarise um, the the tour through Glenn's new book, The Air We Breathe. Uh, we've been talking over the last several shows about the way Christianity birthed the scientific revolution, uh, the idea of equality, the concept of compassion. And you can find many more of those concepts spelled out in detail and the history behind them in Glenn's new book, The Air We Breathe. Um, in a way, today sort of sort of presents us with an opportunity to talk about look when we look at the ways in which christianity has shaped the west in ways people often don't realize that they often you know as you the title of the book says all the air we breathe people just go around assuming that this is just the way things are and and don't realize how radically their ideas have actually been shaped by the jesus revolution um you 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 title the final chapter of the book choose your miracle so what what's that about what what's the kind of final challenge that you're leveling um both the christians and non-christians who may come across the book and and start to engage with this idea of of where all these ideas and concepts came from yeah thanks and thanks for giving us the opportunity to uh, talk through these issues I, i think when i say choose your miracle i'm saying non-miraculous accounts for the world are off the table 
everybody's got to deal with the miraculous. And, of course, at that, at that stage, um, people who don't believe in the supernatural are going to object. And I'm going to say at that point, um, very few of us live according to nature, red in tooth and claw. Very few of us just treat every other human that we encounter as a mischievous ape. Um, all of us step out into the world, and it's a venture of faith to treat people better than their economic utility, to treat them better than what their social standing might suggest, to treat them um, with an inherent moral dignity and worth. Most people at least aspire to living like that. Most people aspire to living compassionate lives. And yet I'm saying that is supernatural. That is not... Um, that is not what survival of the fittest would urge you to do. And yet you're living by a different kind of uh, a moral. It's, it's, it is above nature. It is supernatural. And I'm, I'm saying as you look around at a world that has been transformed by the Jesus revolution, um, you don't really need to take a leap of faith. You are already midair. You're already six miles in the air believing in compassion and equality and consent and enlightenment, science, freedom, um, what's the other, and progress. Um, as you believe in these things, um, they are not the result of, of evidence and logic. They are, they are the result of inhabiting a Christianized world. And at that point, either the Jesus who birthed that revolution is true and the values that you hold have a grounding, or you are midair, and you might just find yourself crashing down to, to earth. So I, I, I kind of got the, the title, Choose Your Miracle, from a um, conversation between Jonathan Peugeot and, uh, and uh, Jordan Peterson. And have you had Jonathan Peugeot on Unbelievable, Justin? I haven't. I haven't actually had Jonathan Peugeot on, though. We've talked okay. a few times about bringing him on. Obviously, I had Jordan Peterson uh, on the one occasion, yeah. and yeah, I'd love to get him though. He's a, he's a fascinating character. He's a uh, he's an Orthodox um, uh, Christian. He, he carves icons, and he's obviously in the midst of some really interesting cultural theological discussions on his YouTube channel, isn't he? Yes, and he, he's a friend of Jordan Peterson's, and um, and I sort of raised Jordan Peterson in the chapter, not because I think necessarily Jordan Peterson is on Team Jesus, and not necessarily because I'm on Team Jordan Peterson, but just as an interesting, um, uh, an interesting bellwether for where the conversation is going culturally. And in this conversation, um, Jordan Peterson says, "I've got the choice of believing two impossible things. I can either believe that the world is constituted so that God took on flesh and was crucified and rose three days later, or I can believe that human beings invented this unbelievably preposterous story that has stretched into every atom of culture, and it isn't obvious to me that the second hypothesis is any easier to believe than the first, because the more you investigate the manifestations of the story of Christ, the more insanely complicated and far-reaching it becomes. So Peterson is looking out of the world that has been built by the Jesus Revolution, and he's like, well, there's, I've got two miraculous accounts for that. Either it really happened, and the reason why that figure on the cross has made our world is because he is in fact our maker, so I guess that makes sense, or 
that is a, a, a story that was invented by humans, and yet the story of a crucified God is a preposterous story, which nevertheless has triumphed in order to make the modern world. On both accounts, you're believing in the miraculous. And I'm basically saying in, in this chapter, as, as I round the book off, which miracle are you going to choose? Because all non-miraculous options are off the table. That's what often is the objection to people who object to Christianity. They say, I can't believe in all this miraculous stuff about virgin births and Jesus rising from the dead and, and angels and so on. It sounds like actually what you're saying, though, is that we, we all start with a a worldview, let's say, uh, a, a perspective from which we're going to be judging the evidence around us and that secular people are, are no less sort of coming at things from a specific worldview where they've made certain assumptions about the way the world is. And, and I suppose in the end, I mean, a, a lot of what I found with the apologetics and unbelievable that I've done is is that it's as much about asking tough questions about their worldview and how they would justify their belief in dignity, equality, compassion, science, whatever right. it is, from a purely atheistic, naturalistic point of view, uh, and asking, well, does does your view of reality fit better than the Christian view of reality? And, and maybe actually there's things about the Christian view of reality that actually segue better, that are more consistent with it. So is that is that kind of where you're going with this sort of idea of, of choose your miracle? We, I suppose we've all got a miraculous element to the things we believe about the world. Right. And if you believe in compassion, let's say, um, then you're believing in something that's supernatural. It is not natural. You are not determining to treat other people as though they're mischievous apes, but to treat them um, with a, a compassion that is utterly Christ-like. And historically, we can trace back where that came from. I mean, I debated Bart Ehrman on The Unbelievable Show with you, Justin, and he was very happy to say, yes, compassion, for instance, is a unique gift of Christianity to the world. Bart Ehrman is, is a massive skeptic of Christianity, and yet his knowledge of the ancient world and his knowledge of the early church has led him to say, yeah, it, this has come from the Jesus Revolution. And so I just, I just want people to press into the fact that they, they live according to a story, the details of which they have forgotten. And actually, the other story that they tell you they believe in is not the story that they actually lean into for most of their waking life. The story they tell you they believe in is that they are a biological survival machine. The story they lean into, the story that, that they inhabit minute by minute is a story that says society should be judged by how they treat the the least strong members. They live in a they live in into a world in which they say taking in refugees from Ukraine is a good thing and Putin is wrong to invade Ukraine. They they live in a world in a moral universe that has been built by Christianity and yet they say that they live in in a godless universe up here in which Actually, the details of their life don't make sense. And I'm just, I'm just calling, I'm calling people out. Everybody is a believer. Absolutely everybody is a believer. And one of the ways that you can sh see that you're a believer is that you, you might well object to the church. And instead of believe, you know, and, and, and you might think that the church is unequal, cruel, uh, coercive, unenlightened, anti-science, um, regressive and anti-freedom and what do you what do you notice about those accusations of the church um they assume the seven values that the church have given to the world so i think christianity has become so immense uh 
that even our criticisms of Christianity are Christian criticisms. And I just want to press into the fact that we are, we are all people of faith and we all have these gut-level moral intuitions. Do you really want to believe that they have erupted from the deceit of you know, first-century followers of Jesus who invented this preposterous story and somehow it took over the world? Or do you want to think that as I pull on these seven values, I find that there's something solid at the other end of them? that there really is a grounding for compassion and equality and all those things. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. You, you talk about the fact that we, we kind of are living in a story, but we've forgotten the details of it. And I, I understand that because I think that every time I see someone getting passionate about some issue of justice online, you know, and maybe some Twitter spat over... Uh, identity race lgbt whatever um it it feels like that person has a kind of quasi-religious belief almost in fact the way that so often these things are debated are are debated so passionately that it feels like people have some sense that that this is a sacred thing that you know even if they don't call themselves a christian or have any you know conventionally religious beliefs so it, it feels like as you say whether they like it or not, we're kind of religious about the things that matter most, aren't we? Yes, we can't help but be. Um, so I, I, I think the idea that we could live godless lives without some conception of a, of a highest good that actually stands over us, um, I, I just don't think it's psychologically tenable, let alone spiritually tenable. And what do we find when, when we're on the internet late at night and you know your wife says come to bed and you say no but somebody's wrong on the internet um like that that whole thing is it's very preachy (laughs) you know we want to enlighten other people right we want to take them out of darkness and bring them into the light that we have found it's proselytizing it's evangelistic it's it's christian you know and i think one of the dangers at the moment is that um, is is not that we're becoming so um, licentious, is that we're becoming so legalistic, actually. You know, Dostoevsky said, um, you know, without God, everything is permittable, per- permissible. Um, but uh, but I, I think what we're finding in the early 21st century is that without God, everything is preachy, very, very preachy. And the reason is we've got all these values. We've got kingdom values but not a king and so we're we're hurling bible verses at each other we've just forgotten the references and it's it's becoming in incredibly fraught even though we claim to be irreligious we're canceling people which is a kind of excommunication (laughs) we're declaring people to be phobes which is a kind of a heresy charge and we we cannot escape this religious um state that we're in I, I've I've always ruminated on C. H. Spurgeon's um, line. He he said, "If you have half a Christianity, you'll be the most miserable creature on earth." And he was applying that to the individual level. You know, if you just believe there's a lawgiver, but no actual forgiveness, you'll be absolutely miserable. And I think at a cultural level, we've come to this stage. Actually, <laughs> we have we have the values. We have these Christian-ish values that are above us. But we don't have the one who embodies them, and we don't have forgiveness 
for all the ways that we fail these values. I fail these values every day. And I don't just need values. I, I need somebody to forgive me. And so, you know, my, my real prayer is that people will pull at the thread of these values. They'll find the person who embodies them. And they'll find the Savior who can forgive us for all the ways that we, we, we fail at these values. Because we all do. Do, do you think the tide is beginning to turn at all? Um, do Are you running into people who are kind of getting tired of kind of the secular version of religion which is yes. often so graceless and which frustrating and uh, and so on and realizing actually maybe th- there is a god out there that actually i've been looking for I, i've certainly run into one or two stories that feel a bit like that and you get the sense that as you've said the petersons and so on seem to be speaking to that kind of crowd who who are um kind of just fed up with the the culture wars and everything else and looking for something more substantial you know a real god rather than a kind of half-baked demigod you know that that people often gather around yeah a hundred percent and and i think and churches are starting to wake up to this you know as an evangelist i get invited into different churches and they will put on events and i'll come and speak at them and i think 10 12 years ago it was almost the bait and switch thing in which you would put on a glitzy event and then Glenn Scrivener would be kind of slotted in between rounds three and four of the pub quiz or whatever, whatever it was. You get people with the bait. <laughs> and then the Christian bit was, was, was almost the, the nasty hook. And I think more and more people are realizing in a world that is utterly fragmenting, in some very vitriolic culture wars out there and a meaning crisis, that actually the proclamation of the Christian story is is the bread that we're offering to the world. And we don't have to do a bait and switch. We've got bread. And we've got this this nourishing story of the Christ who embodies equality and compassion and consent and enlightenment and all these these values that we that we so love and who dies for those who fail. And and I think it's a nasty it's an unforgiving world at the moment. And if you if you say words on social media that just five years ago everybody was saying, suddenly you, you, are, you are persona non grata. You, you are excommunicated from the Church of Acceptable Speech. And, and people are feeling very um, anxious about all of that, very defeated by all of that. And we, we have a Jesus who doesn't just embody the values. He, he comes with his arms wide open for the world and, and says, come on home to, to live into a kingdom the air, the air of this kingdom really is forgiveness, it's mercy, it's compassion. Come home to that story. And just as we finish this conversation then, Glenn, how, how you know, if, if people are still hungry, if people are still innately religious in that sense, but maybe they're looking in the wrong places, what, what practically could we go out and do? What can the church be doing in this cultural moment to, to A, remind people, actually, that the story they believe has its roots in uh, you know the greatest story ever told, as it were. Um, right. And what? How do we draw people, to kind of, both to be reminded of that, but also to kind of ultimately see that at the centre of this is a person called Jesus Christ, who kind of answers all of those ultimate questions um, that that so often people are looking in other places to try and answer. Yeah, well, I I think where the book ends up is just an invitation to. Um, 
consider how improbable the Christian revolution is, given that its founder dies in the most ignominious way the Romans could devise. Um, and yet, on that weekend, there was a big bang, <laughs> a big bang that explains the expanding universe of, of Christendom that, that, that has happened for the last 2,000 years. It's a very improbable um, uh, source <laughs> of, of such a revolution. And it's also a predicted um, revolution. You know, there there is the Old Testament scriptures speaking of you know how the kingdom will absolutely go global and the the Messiah is going to come and and then Jesus says in his distinctive northern accent with you know Roman soldiers scoffing at, at on the fringes of the crowd that you know my church will not fail the gates of hell will not prevail against it you know my movement will be like a, a mustard seed growing into the biggest plant in the garden it will be like yeast working its way through a batch of dough and you just think what who are you 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 like if if jesus was living today he'd be the equivalent of i don't know a car mechanic from rural ukraine that's 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 who that's who a carpenter from nazareth is in the modern world he is a car mechanic from rural ukraine and he ends up in godforsaken execution, and somehow he turned that into world domination. He's like, well, that's that that's a miracle, all right. Choose your miracle. That <laughs> like the water into wine has got nothing on this. How do you go from godforsaken execution to world domination? He pulled it off, and he predicted it in advance. What do you make of this Jesus? And and then in conversations with people who are interested in any way, I just say, crack open a gospel. And encounter this Jesus who, you know, he's got a towering personality. He's got a stooping love. You will, you will see the source of all those things that you value so very supremely. And as you, as you look to that one on the cross, if you start to think to yourself, he's it. That, that is the source of all this. That, that is ultimate. That is the vision of God. That is the vision of what it means to be human. At that stage, you're basically saying Jesus is Lord and bad luck, you're a Christian. That's kind of how it happens and it sneaks up on you and <laughs> sorry, but <laughs> you know, that's how it works. What, so get into the Gospels and keep reading them. Church, like I could be heard to be saying, given that the world is Christian-ish, maybe the, maybe the church should be world-ish, right? That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying the, the Christian revolution has overtaken the world precisely by us being weird, by us being countercultural. And what does it mean today to stand against infanticide and abortion? What does it mean today to stand up for the, for the rights of, of women? What does it mean today to stand up for the rights of the oppressed and to truly believe in compassion, to truly believe in equality, to truly believe in freedom? Um, um, we, are, we are to be at the vanguard of the Jesus revolution in a weird way that the world won't initially understand. Continue to be weird, but continue to have confidence that the Jesus revolution really is taking over the world. The church of Jesus Christ is bigger today than it was yesterday, and it'll be bigger again tomorrow. Um, it's happening. This, this car mechanic from rural Ukraine, this, this carpenter from, from, Nazareth, from Nazareth has built the world, and he's continuing to build the world. So just have, have the confidence that what we have in proclaiming Jesus is, is not backwards and regressive and restrictive and unequal and cruel it, it it is 
the good news that has built our world, and it will continue to build our world if we have the courage to continually proclaim it. So let's get out there proclaiming it. Glenn, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. If you want to get hold of Glenn's book, uh, there is a link with today's show where you can find The Air We Breathe and indeed Speak Life, the organisation that Glenn heads up. But for now, thanks so much for being my guest over the last uh, four episodes of the show, Glenn. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much, Justin. Thanks so much for listening. Do remember to rate and review us on your podcast provider. It'll help others to discover Unapologetic as well. And don't forget, you can also tweet us, hashtag Premier Unbelievable. Tweet, uh, share, Facebook, whatever it is, uh, the podcast link for Unapologetic. And include that hashtag Premier Unbelievable and you'll be in with the chance to win one of five signed copies of Glenn's book, The Air We Breathe. Coming up next time on the show, we're going to be talking to John Lennox, an absolute legend in the world of science, faith and apologetics. Do come back for us next time. See you then. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.